same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. So I guess we're starting. Yeah. Thanks. We were just going. Here we go. Welcome to a uh, 2022, everyone. <laughs> Year of the tiger. Year of the tiger. I know. I think it's a little bit under a month now until the Lunar New Year Day. Well, if I edit it, it'll be out next week. So it'll be before the Lunar New Year. We'll see. Well, welcome to the ABC Adapted Babies from China podcast. I'm Tara. This podcast is about Chinese adoptees mostly. I speak with other Chinese adoptees. I speak with people who have known Chinese adoptees and just about the experience of Chinese adopted. That's really what it is. And pretty cool. Today I'm speaking with Mary. We actually met because you shared about a post for your final project is it your senior project or your final project yeah it's my thesis film for your thesis film that's right and you are a student at FIT which is the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York and so it was pretty cool to connect with you in that way because I saw your post and I was like oh my goodness it'd be really cool to help out your project in any way I can because being able to talk about adoption and being Chinese adoptees ourselves I feel like that's always a great opportunity to just help others and really would you want to share more about yourself tell me about your adoption and then how you decided to have your project focus on Chinese adoptees yeah of course so my name is Mary I was born in Guangchang in Jiangxi province which is like southeastern China and I was mm -hmm. adopted by my very white very American parents like right before my first birthday where and then they brought me to Pennsylvania like 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia and like this super small like very homogenous like rural town and that's where I spent the majority of that's where I spent all of my childhood and when it came time to decide like where I wanted to study and where I wanted to like put down roots I was kind of I kind of realized that I can go wherever I want you know I think that choosing a college that in my mind, I was like, maybe this will be the only time where I can literally go wherever I want. Like nothing is holding me in Pennsylvania. Like I can go, I can go to like a different country. I could go to a different state. Like I could go anywhere. And so mm -hmm. a big thing for me was I wanted to be in a place where I wasn't the only person of color and where I wasn't the only person who was like into the arts and the only person who was like, um, not like a Republican Trump supporter. And so I feel like I needed <laughs> to be with people that looked like me and kind of like had the same values and same ideas as me and the same interest in me and so New York is only about two hours away from my parents mm. house and I just like I had this feeling I was like you need to go to New York like it's gonna it's gonna be good for you it's gonna change your life you're gonna meet people you're gonna learn things you're gonna like have all these amazing opportunities that you probably would not have if you stayed here and so I really jumped off the deep end and went from you know, like my small town where everyone knows everyone to one of like the biggest cities in the entire world. So it was very jarring, but it felt so good to meet people that look like mm -hmm. me. And 
Fashion Institute of Technology specifically has a pretty big like Asian student population. Like, you know, we have Asian student network, we have a lot of like Asian exchange students. And so there's a lot of like, like the community is big and everyone's very prideful and very respectful of like the Chinese culture. And that's something that I didn't really have growing up because there were no other Asians. It was really just me. And so it felt so nice to feel like I was around people who looked like me. But then it kind of got to the point where I wasn't feeling Asian enough because, you know, those kids, they grew up in like Chinese or Korean or Japanese families and they know the language, they know the food, they know the culture. And I, I look Chinese on the outside, but on the inside, like I'm very American. And so there was mm-hmm. kind of this disconnect. And so it's like, I thought that I had what I wanted. I thought I had finally gotten what like I was searching for, like what I was asking for, but it still didn't quite fit right. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of just was like, well, maybe I'll never find my people. Like maybe I'm just some weird anomaly and I'll never be white enough for the white people and I'll never be Asian enough for the Asian people. And that's just mm-hmm. how it's going to be. So I major in film at Fashion Institute, which is probably one of their smallest majors, but I kind of like the tight knit community. And I am really drawn to like documentary work. And so I love like interviewing people and talking to people and hearing about their stories and their opinions and their thoughts and like different things that they've kind of like gone through and things that have happened to them like you know like very recently or like in the past and I find that if it's a topic that I'm personally very connected to it really motivates me to like make the project the best that it can be like I want to like make my film make my documentary the best it could be And so when it came time to choose like my topic for my thesis film, I knew that it had to be something that I had a connection to. Another thing that I love about documentary work is like you learn so much from the people that you interview and from the people Mm -hmm. that you work with. And so I was like, I've never really done a deep dive like into kind of the world of Chinese adoption. Like I didn't really know other adoptees. I was still, um, I was actually just kind of beginning to like, I guess, start my adoption journey, like kind of unpacking everything and kind of figuring out how like I feel about certain things, like completely separate from like my parents, my family and like my community and, you know, kind of learning like, how do I feel about things that happen to me? And so I really wanted, so I, I figured the best way to kind of learn more about this community is to ask the people who are in it. And I'm usually not one, I mean, yeah, I'm usually not one to kind of, like, I guess, reach out to, like, as many people as I did for my thesis, but I found all of these, like, really great Facebook groups for Chinese adoptees, specifically in New York City, and I was so surprised at how many of us there are, and so I joined all these groups, and I posted a bunch of, like, casting calls, and I wrote, you know, like, I'm a student, I'm in my senior year, I'm major in film this is my thesis if you want to help out in any way or if you want to collaborate or you know if you just want to talk like here's my email feel free to reach out and I was a little bit nervous I thought maybe people wouldn't be maybe people would be hesitant to share kind of that very intimate part of themselves like with a stranger but I got so many like emails and messages from people who obviously like I didn't know but they were so eager to they were so eager to help and they were so eager to like share their stories and they were so eager to like meet up and hear my, hear about my story. And it was so, 
it was so heartwarming to mm, I guess kind yeah. of ha- like be welcomed into the community in that way I don't even know how many people I met up with to kind of start like the research portion and kind of decide you know kind of like what um I don't know I guess kind of like what different like personalities are out there because again this was really my first time being introduced to this community so I was really excited to kind of like I guess meet people for the first time and then you know so I I met you and I met there were actually like a lot of people from FIT that were also Chinese adoptees that I that I didn't realize and so like I met a lot of people like that were also in college and undergrad and you know a couple of people like in their like early 30s and it was just so it was just so amazing to like hear their stories and it was also really heartwarming to like kind of be told that you know like your experience is your experience and you know Mm -hmm. you don't owe anyone anything really like you can feel your feelings as they are and they're valid because they're your feelings and I definitely feel like I learned a lot you know about this community but I also learned so much about myself and I feel like this is the first project that I've done in undergrad where I've really made connections that have really impacted me kind of as a person, as an individual. And I really am so proud of the things that like I've made in like my thesis and like my interviews. And so it sounds like you went kind of a big, you went big actually, cause like you found all the communities and then you're like, okay, I'm doing a video thesis project and you met a bunch of people and then you interviewed some and recorded. I was like, Whoa, it was, it became much bigger than I ever expected it to be and I feel like now I have like friends that came from this documentary mm-hmm. and I have like for the first time ever like I feel like I have friends who you know were also adopted I have friends who kind of understand what it's like to be you know a person of color that was raised in a white American family and there's just something that is so comforting about that growing up was it also you were just I guess very aware of your differences I guess from others in your community but it was only just recently where it was like heightened and you wanted to do more about it yeah so my entire family is white and so is my entire town and most of my graduating class was white and so for the majority of my time in grade school I would be the only person of color like in a class or in a classroom setting when I got to like middle school when we would rotate like classrooms to go to the different classes like I started playing this game with myself and every time I got to a new class like I would count Mm. the people of color kind of in the room and there were a lot of occasions where it was just one like it was just me and so I feel like because I was kind of like a fish out of water I kind of learned to like be quiet about it because you know I think a lot of adoptees kind of went through this like people would like bully me for being different Mm. and so by kind of you know being quiet about it I feel like that kind of like protected me in a way like in elementary school I would wear like like you know like Chinese dresses that my parents brought back from China for like the lunar new year and I would bring like like mooncakes for all the kids in my class and I would like the teachers would like let me kind of tell them what Chinese year is and like what they do in China and then it just got to the point where people made it like it was kind of weird and it kind of became like the thing that my parents 
taught me to be prideful of became the thing that people would tease me about. Mm. I kind of figured out that, okay, if I just pretend that that's not me, then no one will be mean to me. And, and yeah, I got a lot of the, like, you know, your parents didn't love you kind of thing. Like your parents gave you up, they threw you away. And I, unfortunately, a lot of adoptees kind of have to hear that sort of language Mm -hmm. growing up. And I used to like come up with like fake stories kind of in my head. It's like, oh, my, like if anyone asked, like my dad's white, that's why I have like an American name, you know, like my mom's Chinese, that's why I look like this. And so it's like, I was kind of prepping myself to like, I guess like keep myself safe in case someone like said something. So I kind of, yeah. And so like, that's kind of like, that was my mentality growing up was I always had to like be on guard and I always had to be ready for someone to say something or do something. And I had to be ready to defend myself. Mm. And then like in high school, I hated being a Chinese adoptee. Like I hated being a person of color. I hated being adopted. I wanted to be white so badly. Mm. and I was just so ashamed of being different and it wasn't it really wasn't until I got to college that yeah I started to think like okay maybe this isn't something that I should be ashamed of Mm. and maybe this isn't weird and maybe it's not that my parents didn't love me maybe this is just something that happens and it happens to a lot of people and society needs to re-examine the language that we use when we're talking about you know transracial adoption or like adoption in general Mm -hmm. and I'm not the only person that's going through this like other people kind of like go through these situations these experiences and you know like even though I never had anyone to talk to in like grade school but now through you know finding this really great community I feel like I have so many people who like, even if I have like a question about something, like I'm kind of feeling this way about this thing that happened to me. Like, is that wrong of me? Like, does that make me a bad person? And more Mm -hmm. often than not, people will say like, oh no, I've been through that. Like a lot of us have been through that. And it's okay to feel what you feel because you should always like honor your feelings and you shouldn't ever like feel bad for that, if that makes any sense. Especially in those younger years, I think bringing attention to yourself, no matter what your background is, is something we like to avoid as children. And I think a lot of times it's like a projection of an insecurity. If it's like, hey, we're going to bully this other person because I don't want the other people to notice this thing about my family. Because I know like poverty, kids would be bullied for that. And it's just like, oh, okay. So I guess what is it deflecting, deflecting the the attention to someone else is always sometimes easier, but not always. It's great that you actively chose an environment where you could discover and learn more about yourself. Because I mean, I call it like it's an identity crisis that starts at some point and just will not end. But sometimes it's easier to manage than other times. Who knows, right? But you chose an environment where you were able to like discover that it's like close enough to home, right? Because it was like easier to get to versus going all the way across the coast or across the world, (laughs) potentially. Yeah. And like, I really did think about like California as well, just because, you know, just in terms of like thinking career wise, like they have a very Mm -hmm. big, like powerful entertainment industry, but also it is a very diverse state. Like there are a lot of kind of like pockets 
in the mm-hmm. West Coast, where there are a lot of people of color, like there are a lot of people of like Asian descent. And so I was kind of thinking, oh, maybe that might be kind of a good place to start like unpacking this little identity crisis that I'm having. And then I really thought about it and I was like, no, that's that's too far from home. Like I can't, um, mm-hmm. I'm not ready to go that far. And so I think that New York was a really good choice for me at least. Mm-hmm. And did you, you were saying your parents definitely, it sounds like your parents wanted to embrace the initial like what your culture is too because I've heard stories of the opposite where where sometimes like parents don't really talk about it at all but it it seems like your parents actually did speak about it with you like being of like a Chinese cultural heritage and like that's a part of who you are parents who adoptive parents is that the word AP there's a lot of lingo still (laughs) but like AP adoptive parents or our parents who embrace that side of our culture too did you ever feel like you were able to have open conversations with them specifically related to the adoption aspect too, or was it mostly just like cultural? I think for the most part, my parents did a pretty good job of making me aware of my situation. And they did, I think they did a really good job at like keeping me connected to the culture. Like we, like growing up, we celebrated like Lunar New Year and they brought back so much stuff like when they went to China and so my house is full of like paintings and like little artifacts and so sometimes I imagine like if someone were to like come into my parents house that like didn't know them like just based off of kind of like the decor maybe they would think that like a real Chinese family looks there but it's just like my white parents with their (laughs) with their Chinese daughters Mm -hmm. so I think they did a really good job of making Mm -hmm. like I'm always aware of like this is where I came from this is my culture and I do think that they did a really good job of kind of, I guess, also making me aware of like the situation mm-hmm. that was kind of surrounding my adoption. Because I think like, well, like most adoptees, I don't know anything about my biological parents. I don't know like why they gave me up. I don't know anything about like where they are now or like their situation when I was born. And this the narrative that my parents always told me growing up was that my birth mother loved me very much but i was born in a really like poor part of china and so it's very likely that she just didn't have the means to raise a child and she knew that by you know putting me up for adoption she would be like giving me a better chance of living a more like fulfilling life and i mm-hmm. i definitely think that if i like wasn't adopted by my parents i would not I definitely would not be where I am now. Like I wouldn't be in America. I probably wouldn't have like, I probably wouldn't have even graduated high school, let alone like gone to college. And so, yeah. And then also like, like growing up, like I knew about China's like one child policy and how kind of like the international relations played a part. And so I knew that there were kind of, there were most likely a lot of forces that were like going against my birth parents keeping me. And so I feel like just kind of based off of like what my parents have told me, I feel like my point of view is that it wasn't like anything that they had against me, like as their child, it was just more like the situation was just not like, it was just not um, like feasible to raise a child, raise a daughter in in that kind of situation. It's really interesting that your parents helped provide like a narrative because I mean I guess the 
real truth of it all would be only like the birth mother would probably know but it sounds like definitely done said they said all that with like a true genuine like care for their daughter sounds like yeah we don't want you to feel like you weren't loved yeah and the most important thing and especially like because it's adoption is a hard thing to explain to like a child and so I think that they did a really good job of like explaining it and telling the story in a way that wasn't like traumatizing um Mm. because I'm sure you could really kind of like mess that up and really like oh yes (laughs) yeah really create kind of like a a recipe for disaster in someone by like kind of wording things the wrong way so I think that they were very careful with the way they chose their words and they were very careful with like kind of what they told me and like at what age they told me things Mm -hmm. yeah I was uh listening to another podcast because that's what we love to do I guess as podcasters (laughs) and it was the host of Stuff You Should Know was on the podcast answering, I guess, seven questions. I forget which philosopher it was, but seven questions that somebody's philosopher. And he was talking about in the time of, he couldn't imagine his life. And I think it's a common thing you hear with like adopted parents, but I guess he adopted him and his wife adopted a child and the child is now five years old. But even he started talking a little bit more about opening up that conversation and it was I think he said it well it was just essentially when you adopt a child you want to be able to communicate with them about the concepts but at a very young age they're not going to know what it is but if you put that idea of adoption it's like hey you're adopted I mean the kid is not going to necessarily understand that until they're maybe like seven or eight but it was very interesting to hear just like a perspective. I don't know. I, I I feel like I personally haven't really listened to a lot of like adoptive parents view of things because it's still just taking in all the information from like fellow adoptees. But I wonder, I, think, I feel like you're the first person to really talk about more of like the adoptive parents uh, side of it that I've spoken with. But I haven't ta- heard a lot of adoptive parents because it goes both ways. There's a lot of people in the community who have not great experiences with their adoption and their families that they are in now versus like a birth family. And then those who have connected with their birth families. And that's also been like sometimes tough. I was like, uh, well, I guess can't have it all be good or bad. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there's kind of this, like, I guess, urge to like romanticize adoption yeah and kind of make it seem like this oh the birth parents loved you but you know they couldn't take care of you and so like they put you up for adoption and now we love you and even though they like don't see you anymore like they also love you wherever they are and they're happy to know that like you're safe and you're in a good family but that's not always the case you know and I think that the like adoptive and um birth parent side of the situation is actually like really interesting and it wasn't until very recently where I kind of started to like similar to you like kind of watch the interviews and like read the read the articles and read the posts and kind of I guess begin to understand kind of like what that world is like and one of the people that I I didn't um I didn't include her interview like in my thesis but it was just more like for like research purposes, I met with someone who was an adoptive parent and she was a, like, she was a white woman. And so I was just kind of asking her because 
like you know even though my parents are like white people that have like a child of color like I feel kind of weird asking them because I feel like there's that bias like I wouldn't really ask them the same question and Mm -hmm. so like I was just kind of asking her I was like like what is it like um like being a white person and kind of like trying to gut and like her her kids are from Nigeria and so I was like what is it like Mm -hmm. to try and guide them through life knowing that they will move through life differently than you and she really started to talk to me about like how hard it is to like want to explain certain things to them but not being able to because she doesn't experience them personally especially with things like like I asked her specifically about you know like summer of 2020 and kind of like what that was like in her household and kind of how she like initiates conversations with her kids about that like if she does and she brought up the fact that she um like she personally I mean obviously this doesn't go for all adopted parents but she does a ton of research about you know things like black history and like what's happening in the black community and so she does a lot of kind of like I guess independent research to like stay informed so even though she doesn't necessarily experience these things but she's like well read enough that she can kind of I guess look at it from a like a more objective point of view which I thought was kind of interesting and so there is kind of that I guess added task of trying to put yourself in someone else's Mm -hmm. shoes but like also understanding that like you'll never be truly be able to see life the way your child does and Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how hard that must be oh yeah because I guess in addition to raising another human being to an adult ideally you uh you have that added layer of the learning I guess educating yourself on how to uh, I guess be aware emotionally aware Hmm. this provides a little bit more insight and like empathy for my for my situation because I know when we had spoken and even in my interview I talk about like yeah it's not not the greatest relationship with my family right now. We're getting there slowly and surely. Even since we had done the the video interview too. No, oh, it's like I can tell already with my mom that things are starting to like slowly go in a more positive direction, oh, okay. right? That's yeah. So this is like a hey, where are they now type of situation. Yeah, and I do think that like with most kids, I think that, you know, like as soon as you hit your like late teens, you kind of start to like separate from your parents a little bit because you kind of need that time and space to figure out who you are and what you want and like what you think about things and then as adoptees I feel like we have you know all that personal stuff like what do I want to do with my life like what are my passions like what is my purpose we also have the like how do I feel as an adoptee kind of like section of it and so that's kind of like another layer that's kind of like just another thing on Mm -hmm the to-do list and so I think that and I've I've talked to a couple other people who kind of have had similar experiences like you kind of need to you like you need that time and you need that space like away from your parents to kind of like I guess unpack everything and really go through it like by yourself because that's I feel like that's the only way where you're really gonna like kind of figure out how you feel about things is if like you're away from Mm your parents like possibly one of like the biggest biases like in your life yeah and then even for me like since moving out of my parents house and like moving to New York I've taken a lot of time to myself to kind of like think about things and 
luckily my parents are like they're very respectful of that part of my life and like they understand that I go through things like as a woman of color like as a Chinese woman that like they'll never go through and you know I'm very grateful for that but there are also times where I do kind of like bicker with them a little bit just because we do have very different life experiences and like I understand that I have my opinion because I see life one way and they have their opinion because they see life another way and I will never see life the way they do and they will never see life the way I do and that's just kind of why we have that disconnect yeah so I feel like things like that are relatively normal in the world of transracial Mm -hmm. adoptees but I am happy to hear that things are moving in a more positive direction I mean because it's like physical distance definitely helps but I think the emotional distance it was it had to come at some point where because I think even I thought about this recently too it's like I had the physical distance with them when I went to university and I went to a university that was like a five six hour drive from home and I think the physical distance helped me kind of grow as an individual and learn how to be independent in that respect, but not necessarily in a, the adoption context. But then I think emotional independence from my family too was something that I had to experience and I experienced it recently. It's like, oh, I needed to have the emotional distance and that blowout really helped, but also the distance too of like not being so reliant on our communication or what we do because now emotionally I've had to like learn how to be more independent of my my connection with my parents and the family as a whole and it's still an ongoing process that will take more time but I, th- I think there's definitely like a physical distance and like an emotional distance too that I think I was like a little bit later to experience but I finally did experience it and we'll see how that informs decisions in the future <laughs> my thought (laughs) that's a really good outlook to have I feel like like you know whatever happens happens and we'll go from there but like something that I that actually I think that you probably said to me like when I interviewed you that I thought was like that I never really thought about before was that there is no like timeline when it comes to like Uh... figuring it out and because you're gonna be like an adoptee forever like that is your identity whether you like it or (laughs) not and so you're And so you'll always kind of have this relationship with adoption. Like it will always be some, it will always be like an entity just kind of in your life, whether it's like, like big or small or positive or negative, like it will always be there. And for some, I think that I'm just the kind of person to put a lot of pressure on myself for literally no reason. Like I just make things up in my head and I stress myself out when it's like, no one is telling me that there's a reason to be stressed out. And so for the longest time, I thought that I was kind of like late to the game, I guess, because I didn't really mm. start my like, you know, journey into like kind of unpacking my adoption until like this year, like I'm 21 and I'm just kind of now starting. <laughs> and I was like, should I have started doing this oh, like 10 years goodness. ago? Like, I feel like I'm kind of late to it. And I would say that to people and they're like, there is absolutely no rush. Like, I've met with people who were like in their thirties and they're like, yeah, I'm also just starting right, to figure it out. Right. But like, but like, that's fine. Like, that's fine. And it was so nice to hear that there's no pressure. Like there's no, there's no rush. You can take as much or as little time as you need. And like, because it's your story, it's your identity and you get to determine mm-hmm. kind of like where it goes and like at what pace it goes. And so 
that was something that was very comforting to hear from almost everyone that I yeah, talked to. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's another thing that, you know, only people who are adoptees kind of relate to, kind of understand. Mm. Yeah, because I think that some people who like aren't adoptees, and I've had like significant others kind of like say things to me where it's like, oh, why haven't you gone back to China yet? Like, you know, if I was adopted, like I would have gone back already because like I would want to know like where my family is, like where I came from. And so it's hard to explain to them, like, yes, there is that urge to know what my past is. But at the same time, like, there's this very intense fear of knowing things that happened to me in my past. And so I personally have not gone back to China. I haven't done, like, a birth parent search or anything like that just because I feel like emotionally I'm just not ready Mm -hmm. for it. And because I had so many, like, I knew so many people who kind of thought that that was odd and they kind of thought that, like, well, what's taking you so long? Like, you should do it now, like, while you're young and you have energy. And I was like, I know you're saying that to me and you're saying it a lot. So it's, like, making me think, like, maybe you're mm-hmm. right. But inside, like, I just, I don't feel ready to take that step yet. And when I would, like, talk to other adoptees about it, they would say, like, you literally don't have to go back. Like, you don't owe them anything. Like, you don't have to go back if you don't want to. You don't have to look for your birth parents if you don't want mm-hmm. to you don't have to express any interest in China if you don't want to. Like, it's, those are all your decisions to make and you can make them, like, whenever Mm -hmm. you want. And so it was so nice to kind of know that, I guess, like I said, there's no timeline, there's no checklist. It's like, I can decide as I'm ready. And a lot of people kind of said, like, I guess in regard specifically to, like, going back to China or, like, starting a birth family search they've said like if the right thing for you and if it's the right time like you'll know when you know and I'm like mm-hmm. what does that mean and they're like you'll know when you know like very ominously <laughs> and I'm like well I guess I'll know when I know so I'm going to insert a break probably in the middle of our lovely recording have you been back at all or not at all too no I haven't been back at all I think that I always wanted to but I just kind of never got around to it because it is kind of like a big thing to plan Mm. oh yeah and (laughs) for me at least I like I hate I actually like I kind of don't like traveling like I know that probably sounds weird but I don't like the the pack I don't like the packing and the being on the plane Mm. and the living out of the suitcase and so it's like, especially because like, it's such, like, it's literally on the other side of the world. Like that is an immense commitment to make. Like that's mm-hmm. like, m- like financially, like time-wise, like comfort-wise, like it's just a lot. And I would not feel comfortable going by myself. I know some people like love going to new countries, like all by themselves, but like that is mm-hmm. not me. And so I would need to find like a travel buddy mm-hmm. or like a friend or like another adoptee to go with and you know that's kind of it's it's whole other thing because for me I know that that will be a very emotional experience because that will be the first time Mm. in like 20 some years that I've been back and so you know I'm expecting to like cry a lot I'm expecting to have like possibly several identity crises Mm -hmm. like yeah that that makes sense while there and so it's like I need to select the 
perfect um, travel companion that will like be supportive of whatever kind of like emotional crisis I'll mm-hmm. be in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so, and my parents have offered to go with me, which is like obviously very lovely of them, but there's something about like going to China with my parents that like is kind of off putting to me. I think because again, I know it's going to be emotional for me and I don't want my parents to kind of like see me in that state because I know that, you know, like no parent wants to see their child like crying or upset. Mm-hmm. And I worry sometimes that like, if I were to go to China with my parents and, you know, if I were to have like some sort of like mental breakdown or something, I worry that they would see that as, um, I guess kind of like a fault yeah. on their point like uh-huh. oh my god like she's crying like she she doesn't mm. feel connected to anything like she feels weird like it's something we did like we didn't do it right and you know like that's never that's never the case like there is no right way to do mm-hmm. it but I just don't want to you know like I know I'm gonna feel bad not feel bad but I know that I'm gonna be feeling oh, like yeah. a lot of ways and I don't want to I don't want to make them also feel a lot of mm-hmm. ways so yeah, so I'm thinking like the first time I go back, like might like probably will not be with them, but at some point, like I really would, because you know we have all the pictures of us like in the Forbidden City on the and they're like on the Great Wall and they're like in my in my birth town and yeah. you know like maybe later down the road it would be possible to experience that with them and I think that that would be like a really really great bonding experience, but just maybe I think I think I need to be a little bit selfish the first time and just prioritize like my feelings like my mental state and my mental Mm -hmm. health which also I've learned is not selfish of me so I probably shouldn't have used that word and Mm. yeah yeah I mean because I'm sure your parents are coming from a place like a genuine place of support too but it's uh yeah you'll know when you know for when you want to do that too you'll know (laughs) when you know goodness I think it's almost I mean, I mean to add to that whole, you know, when you wouldn't know, I think it's also partially, it's like as time passes and we keep growing and experiencing in life, then the you'll know when you will know, quote unquote, will become more apparent because it's based on the experiences you have too. As you experience different things, it's going to influence, well, this is my opinion and my not, <laughs> not licensed expertise about it, but it's like a, as time passes and you, and things happen that's when it's like oh maybe I do want to be interested because I had started to be interested more in actually going to like the hometown of where I came from after I turned 25 because I was like oh I'm I'm like I guess a quarter way of living maybe maybe now's like a time to actually do something and go so I don't know if that's really helpful but I think it's almost sometimes it seems random and sometimes it doesn't seem random because some people will have significant events that happen, lead or factor into them deciding I'm going to go to China and go back home and do a birth parent search. And then it's had the opposite effect too of something happening and people are like, I'm never going to do this. This this thought thought process applies to, because I know before, I think before we started recording, you had mentioned like people were asking like, oh, what are you going to do when you graduate? And like, you have to make a decision. It's like, no, I'm going to say that now. You do not have to make any decisions of what you have to do. <laughs> Before you graduate, because that pressure, I think, sometimes leads people down pathways that may, I mean, it's helpful. I want to say it's helpful sometimes those experiences, 
but I've been telling people this recently because I I'm doing a lot of like freelance work and it's like wow if I had not listened to everybody related to career and work it's like I did the university thing and got a degree and I'm grateful that I didn't have to pay for my education uh, my father and mother helped me with that that it's just like oh I know I was fortunate that I had that experience and had help in a way that not many people don't but I also was guilty it's like do I need to like find a job right away yeah I felt like I did I don't know do you do you feel like because you, now that you're work, your final project and as you're finishing out the year is there aspects of working on that project that really inspire you of anything you'd like to try to do once you graduate or not necessarily job wise but do you think you'll try to continue doing documentary work or continue even with the project that you were doing this is kind of a lead-in because I think we did talk about this but it'd be cool if you shared it here too with uh yeah of course I guess kind of like back to what I was saying earlier is like I didn't expect it to kind of like grow into this like really big part of my life like I didn't you know I wasn't expecting to like make friends I wasn't expecting to like you know, like collaborate with other adoptees on their work. Like I wasn't expecting to be on podcasts. And so, but like in in like the best, I'm saying that in like the best way possible. And as far as like, did this project like inspire me to like do anything like in the future, I would definitely say yes, because it was so, it was so, it felt so good to do something that I guess was kind of like educational and kind of like gave people from like our community kind of like a platform to like just kind of speak freely about certain things and mm-hmm. that was one thing that I stressed when I was like prepping everyone for my interviews like I was like I want you to talk like as um like you know like as genuinely as possible like it like don't worry about like cursing or don't worry about like speaking badly about like your parents or like people that are like in your life like I want you to share those things Mm -hmm. because I think that things like adoption are kind of not discussed in mainstream media often enough and so I think that's why kind of having like the identity crisis is so common especially in like transracial adoptees because we grow up and there's like no media about us like we're not really represented in any way like there aren't really adoption like um, they're not really like books or movies or TV shows that have like, I guess, like well-written characters that are adoptees. And so you kind of don't have any like role models. And so you're just kind of like, or at least for me, there's you're just kind of like going at it by yourself and like you don't have anyone to talk to. Like there's no reference point. It's just kind of like, you know, like, what am I doing? Like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? If I was in like middle school or honestly even high school and like I saw a video like that or like I listened to a podcast like yours it probably would have made me feel so much better about being adopted and being a person of color and I mean I think that I still probably would have feel would have felt like marginalized just because of my like the environment that I grew up in but I think that the like like just the pure hatred that I had for my identity as like a Chinese adoptee probably would not have been there if I was like watching and listening to other people say like you know like this is who we are and you don't have to be ashamed of it and you don't owe anyone any sort of like explanation or anything like that and you 
all of your feelings are valid and all of your opinions are valid and all of your experiences are valid. And there are a lot of people who are like you who are kind of going through the same things and like Mm. thinking the same things and feeling the same things and having the same questions. And when I interviewed Ben for my thesis, he brought up a good point because I asked him about his YouTube channel and kind of what inspired him to start that. And one thing that he said was that after college, he joined the Facebook groups, like just like I did. And he kind of saw like, the questions that people were asking and you know being someone who is like outspoken as Ben is like he was very eager to share Mm -hmm. and so I guess kind of like the lack of representation was what drove him to start creating which I think is a really really great thing Mm -hmm. and so I would love to make this into a series it's just I need to I guess kind of figure out um kind of exactly how I want to do it because it was so great to mm. talk to everyone and, and again like it was so fulfilling like for me just kind of like as an individual to like meet other people who are like me mm-hmm. and again like and this is the reason that like I chose film to study and this is why the, this is like the reason why like I'm drawn to documentaries so specifically is that like I love um like making people feel things and I love like sharing other people's stories and I love kind of giving um you know people who like maybe wouldn't have had the chance to kind of like be in a video or in a documentary like that chance to kind of like I guess share with an audience of many many people Mm -hmm. I always like to conclude with the question about is there anything you'd like to hear from other adoptees that you haven't heard from or Is there anything you'd like to hear from other adoptees about adoption, Chinese adoption that you haven't heard yet, or from anybody who has had experience with Chinese adoptees? Um, That's a really great question. And I've talked to a lot of Chinese adoptees as of late. So what is something that, hmm. I mean, I guess one thing that like really interests me and maybe like I'm not wording it the right way when I ask people and like maybe that's something that like I can look into to like kind of further my project is how do you like, I'm trying to figure out how to word it now. Um, how, I guess like how do you feel like you fit in? Mm. Like, I guess in terms of like, because I feel like as a Chinese adoptee, like in America specifically, there's kind of this like, power dynamic I guess between like being Chinese and then like being American and so like how do you feel like what kind of relationship do you feel like you have with like I guess the Chinese side of things if that makes any sense because I feel like I identify so much more with America than China like I just you know like I watch the movies and I started like learning Mandarin and Mm -hmm. even you know like being in New York like I see I see the things and I always thought that like maybe a light would go off in my head and it's like, Oh, like this is familiar. Like this is like your culture, Mm -hmm. but I just don't like, like, it's just not like nothing. Like I don't feel anything. It's just not really, Mm -hmm. um, I guess that's not really me. And so I would be curious to ask other people like kind of, I guess like not where they fall like on the spectrum, but kind of like, how do they, um, I guess kind of like mediate those two like very conflicting forces that are kind of like going on in your brain. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think that poses a very good like thought. And I hope people reach out to you about that and you're able to speak about that with <laughs> others too. Yeah, of course. That's the toughest thing we all feel. It's like we just want to fit in whatever that means to each individual is different. So it's almost like very subjective, of course. Yeah. And of course, there is no fitting in, um, truthfully. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I like to joke that I'm like 99% American, like 1% Chinese. Yeah, just I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. I know that. I know that I say the same thing with different splits too that's like oh yeah just the more chinese i learn the more or less american i become yeah it's like i imagine there's like a little meter and it's like the chinese is like moving this way like the more mandarin i learn or like the more i learn about like the geography it's like oh i'm becoming more chinese now food (laughs) i'm getting to know the food better food yeah i know that thought too it's like oh yeah is there is your a video the 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 one you did for your final project is that available for anybody to see yet or is that still in development you're waiting to yeah it's still in development just because like i i got it to like a really great place obviously to like screen for my like thesis Mm. screening but you know like i got a lot of feedback after showing it to my class my professor about like things that i could change about it to make it better and of course like because again like this topic is so near and dear to my heart like I want to make this the best possible project it could be mm. and so I just want to go in and I want to like tweak the audio a little bit and like tweak the b-roll and like edit the color a little bit but mm-hmm. I would definitely say that this is the thing that I that I'm the most proud of that I've made in undergrad and I'm really happy that it's like about this topic specifically and so I don't have any sort of like like social media or like YouTube channel kind of like for my personal film work yet. But I'm hoping that like after I finish this up, like it'll be ready to post somewhere because I would really love for other people to see it, especially adoptees. I would love to share it with our community. Yes. Yes. And definitely when you do that, I, I hope to also share it too. Cause I thought was, I I watched the rough cut. It's like, Oh wow. It's a, it's a very interesting take on how we speak about something so close to our hearts and you just stuff you don't notice when you talk about your adoption you're like oh yeah the visual medium is quite something <laughs> I avoid it usually at all costs but hey like, <laughs> yeah I can't like I can't be on camera but like I'll put the camera in other people's faces and like I'll film them <laughs> <laughs> there you go yeah, it's, yeah. It definitely feels easier to not be like the one on display Yes, I agree. If I'm in someone's project and it's getting screened, like I'll leave the room. I'm like, I can't be here. Like I'm going for a walk or something. Like I just can't. That's fair. I don't know. I just won't do it. Yeah. Well, I always like to say goodbye for now. It was very fun to like talk to you more about adoption. It's always, I think that's a nice thing. The more you talk to somebody to, I mean, I guess that's how relationships and friendships work is you learn something new about the other person each time you talk. So it's like, uh, cool it's really cool to hear more about your experience because i know we talked a lot about it initially when we met if you would like to oh would you like to share uh your like instagram or any of your social media and people could reach out to you if they have any questions yeah like i'm not a very big social media user i i know that sounds kind of like boomer of me but like i'm just (laughs) not like i'm really lazy with it but my instagram handle is mary like m-a-r-y-y dot r-i because my name is mary richards I don't know if anyone would like to, you know, collaborate on anything or yeah. I would, I would love to like continue this project, but um, 
you know, I just kind of like, you know, need people to kind of like step forward. And that's also something that you mentioned in your interview was like, it just kind of takes one person to get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of like got my ball rolling, but like, I just got to like keep pushing it. Like I have to keep like, yeah, keep the momentum going. Well, I'll definitely forward you any adoptees I know. I I, I run into, I run into the same thing too. Is like it, uh, having adoptees to interview for the podcast too. It's like oh, it's a it sometimes feels tough to like find people in that respect. But there's so many of us, and then there's a lot of us who want to share our story, and there's a lot who aren't ready yet. You know, it's like yeah, it depends on where they are in their journey, and it goes back and forth. So it's always like okay, hopefully I find somebody who's ready and wants mm-hmm. to share and. Everybody can hear our stories, except the whole idea. And this is also, like, kind of an interesting, I guess, thing to keep in mind that, like, I had never really thought about. But, like, I was talking to someone kind of, like, about, you know, all of the kids that were adopted, like, during China's one-child policy. Mm. And it's, like, kind of, like, just, you know, like, within the past, like, couple of years, like, we've all kind of, like, been growing up. And so it's, like, I think maybe that's why there was such a lacking of... Chinese adoptee kind of voices in media and now kind of there's like a lot right. kind of coming out right now I think because now we're kind of getting to the age where we you know want to like know about these kinds of things and we want to like um, communicate and interact with our peers and we want to share our stories with other people mm-hmm. and so I think that that's like really interesting it's like oh all the all the one policy babies are growing up all the one policy babies are growing up (laughs) yeah yeah i mean that's true uh because korean adoptees they have definitely gone through this same not the same but uh korean adoptees they most a lot of them are older than the chinese adoptees a fair amount i would say so and lots of similar experiences i want to say have come from korean adoptees too so it's like yep one policy babies are following the Korean adoptees now. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to ABC Adopted Babies from China. If you'd like to share your story or know anybody who's interested, you can reach me at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Facebook and Instagram. And I've been tweeting, Twitter, Twitter, tweeting a little bit more, Twitter, with Chinese Adopt Pod. Yeah.